over six months. We're in Acts chapter 19 this morning. And so let me just read a little snippet of Acts 19 before we dive into the text this morning. This is the Apostle Paul. He's in Ephesus. And Dr. Luke records, Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way, which is Christianity. So Paul left them, and he took the disciples with him, had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years, so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Let's uh, pray this morning and ask God to, to bless us as we look into his word. Lord, we're so grateful for the privilege of being here today. Lord, thank you for the way that you work in our lives uh, thank you that you're writing a story in each of our lives, and we thank you for Brian and April's story this morning. Thank you for the way that you have worked in their lives. Thank you for people that prayed for them and encouraged them, and we thank you for uh, bringing them to our church family. Lord, this morning I pray for one specific unspoken request from one of our church members that is heavy on their heart, and um, Lord, you, you know all the details of this, and we're at a crucial moment, and uh, so Lord, we, we bring this request to you, and uh, pray that you will uh, do your work in the hearts and lives of those that it impacts. Lord, we th- and now Lord, as we open up your word, we pray that uh, the Spirit of God will um, take your word and speak to our hearts today. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, I was kind of looking at the book of Acts and kind of our timeline here. So I think we probably have about seven more messages in the book of Acts uh, before we finish the book. And it should be right about leading up to uh, Resurrection Sunday, which is actually a little earlier this year on the calendar. Uh, Easter is on a Sunday this year, so that's good. Um, I think it's on a Sunday every year, actually, um, but it's March 31st. So uh, uh, let's be thinking and praying about Resurrection Sunday as well. And we're going to get some flyers into your hands. Brian talked about inviting people to church. When you personally invite somebody to church, the statistics say there is a high probability that they will respond to that personal invitation. And so we're going to be thinking about that and praying about that. But we're in the book of Acts, and Acts chapter 1, verse 8 is the outline of the book. Uh, but you will receive power after the Holy Spirit comes on you. He's talking about Pentecost. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. That's chapters 1 through 7. That's where the church started. Judea and Samaria, that's chapters 8 through 12. As the gospel spread because of persecution, the Christians left Jerusalem and uh, witnesses they did, and then it says to the ends of the earth. And that's uh, the last half of the book, chapters 13 through 28. The gospel goes to the ends of the earth. How did that happen? Through primarily Paul's three missionary journeys. And Saul, who became Paul, uh, became the great missionary of the church. And he took three missionary journeys, and we've already looked at two of them. And this morning we're going to look at uh, missionary journey number three, And if you've been with us uh, through our study of the book of Acts, we've got a little uh, video background here for about five minutes that will take you to Ephesus, which is where we're going to be this morning. And uh, we will look at uh, some background. You'll get to see the city of Ephesus. And I didn't send that link. 
Oh, my goodness. You know what? I'll tell you what. I'm sorry, Larissa. Um, we're going to look at the next part of the chapter next week, and so we'll show you next week. It's really good. I watched it this morning. <laughs> I just forgot to send it to Larissa. So you'll see it next week. If you got to come next week and see the, this, uh, this great video. Well, um, God's word's infallible. Your pastor is not. But most of you already knew that a long time ago. All right, so let's jump into Acts chapter 19, Paul's third missionary journey. It actually starts in, in chapter 18, his third missionary journey. And we're going to outline the text, and then we're going to think about some life lessons that we can learn uh, from uh, this story this morning. So uh, let's pick it up in Acts chapter 19, and here's our outline. Paul explains baptism. Paul explains baptism. So let's look at the text, Acts chapter 1, verse uh, 19, verse 1. While Paulus was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and he asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Well, that's, that's interesting, isn't it? Paul arrives in Ephesus and he finds some disciples. Dr. Luke tells us in verse 7, there's 12 men, 12 of them. And Paul asks them a question. Interesting question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed in Jesus? And what did they say? We've not even heard of the Holy Spirit. That's interesting um, that Paul began to ask some questions. And let me just share this morning that a good way to determine where somebody is spiritually in their walk with God is to ask questions. Uh, if you're familiar with Evangelism Explosion, it teaches you a couple of questions to ask somebody that will let you know where they are in their walk with Jesus. Here's, here's they are from Evangelism Explosion. Number one, do you know for sure that you're going to spend eternity in heaven with God someday? Do you know that for sure? And regard, and if they answer yes, Here's your next question, and I've asked this question to dozens and dozens of people. If you were standing before heaven's gates, and God were to ask you, why should I let you into heaven, how would you respond? What would you say? I've asked that question dozens and dozens of times, and usually people pause and give that little thought. What do you think the most common answer to that question is? Most people that I've asked that question to will say, well, I think God's going to let me in because I've been, fill in the blank, a pretty good person. And, and I've helped people in my life and I've been good. And so I think God's going to let me into heaven. And as we know, the problem is that's the wrong answer. Good people don't go to heaven. And... Uh, you have to be perfect to get into heaven. And so we've got a problem. And that's why Jesus came to live a perfect life, to die on the cross and pay our sin debt. So when we put our faith in him and him alone, he gives us our entrance ticket into heaven. And so it's only the right answer is it's only because of Jesus. 
I've done nothing to deserve to get into heaven, but but because what Jesus did, and he paid my sin debt on the cross, and I put my faith and trust in him. And when we say that, God says, come on in. Well, Paul's asking a question, and the answer was, we haven't even heard of the Holy Spirit. Uh, look at the rest of the text. Here's uh, what Paul, how Paul responds. So Paul asked, then what baptism did you receive? Now, there's three different baptisms in these first seven verses in the book of Acts. And when we get to our life application, we're going to break this all down and explain them. So what baptism did you receive? And they said, John's baptism. Who's that? John the Baptist. So John the Baptist came. He was the cousin of Jesus. He was six months older than Jesus. His job was to prepare the way for the Messiah. And so he began to preach uh, repentance. And he was the voice crying in the wilderness. And he then became uh, the one who prepared the way for Jesus. But these 12 disciples said, we know nothing about the Holy Spirit. We know nothing about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So they're about 25 years away from Pentecost. So Pentecost happens in Jerusalem. And uh, they, they, have, they haven't heard anything about this. This is uh, the, before the age of uh, news spreading quickly through technology. And so how did, how did truth have to spread from word of mouth to word of mouth? And so they're 400 miles from Jerusalem where Pentecost happened 25 years later. And they said, we know nothing about the baptism of the Spirit. We've had John's baptism. So Paul says John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 of them in all. And so here's Paul. He arrives at Ephesus. He finds these 12 men, 12 disciples, he asks them a question, and uh, he's able to explain to them what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is. He puts their hands on them, and they have a little mini Pentecost. Uh, this is common in the book of Acts. It's a transitional book. Yes, there was a major Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 in Jerusalem, but if you read through Acts, there were, uh, there were little, several little mini Pentecosts where they received the Spirit, and they spoke in tongues, and uh, dramatic things happened in their lives. It's, it's a little bit uh, the parallel of the, the lag in time between what happened at Pentecost and people understanding what happened in Pentecost. It, it's a little bit equivalent to the Emancipation Proclamation. So President Lincoln, on January 1st, 1863, announced that slavery is over, that all persons held as slaves are and henceforth shall be free. That's a quote from Lincoln's Emancipation Proclamation. So he says, there's no more slavery. But it took a while for that message to reach people. So in our latest national holiday, as of 2021, is June 19th. 
What's June 19th all? Why are we celebrating June 19th? Because uh, June 19th, 1865 is the date that the formerly enslaved people of Texas finally learned that the Civil War was over and that they were free. So two and a half years later, they, they had not known that they were free. And finally the word came and they were celebrating uh, June 19th today. Well, that's a little bit of the time lag that happened with between Pentecost and people understanding Pentecost. All right, let's look at the next uh, section of the, the text here. And uh, it's Paul's boldness in sharing. Paul's boldness in sharing. Uh, verses 8 through 10, we read this in our scripture reading. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So Paul left. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years so that all the Jews and the Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. So Paul, if you study the book of Acts, he goes into a town. Where does he start? He always goes to a synagogue and he begins to preach and teach in the synagogue. And that's what he does here in Ephesus. They're not very receptive, so he takes a group of those and he finds a lecture hall, the lecture hall of Tyrannus. Um, I discovered a, a footnote in uh, the ESV Bible, adds a, a detail in the footnote. Not, it's not in scripture, but speculation that Paul taught in the lecture hall from the fifth hour until the tenth. That is from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. This period was typically when workers had their midday meal and rested from their work and the heat of the day. It's possible that Paul would have worked at tent making during the other parts of the day and devoted the mid-period of the day to teaching in Tyrannus's lecture hall. So in a lot of cultures, uh, there's siesta time, isn't there? (laughs) Because it's so hot that you take a little break in the mid-part of the day and so uh, Paul perhaps is working in the morning as a tent maker, and then in the heat of the day, he's, he's teaching every day. Um, my folks spent a year in the Middle East uh, pastoring a church and in the United Arab Emirates, and I remember my dad telling me it was getting up to 120 degrees on a regular basis in the summertime, blazing hot. Had to, you know, for, for your car, you had to buy one of those shields over the windshield, Otherwise, the heat in the car was stifling. You couldn't even hold on to the steering wheel. And so here's Paul, and he's, he's now uh, leaving the synagogue, and he's teaching daily in this lecture hall uh, and sharing God's truth. Well, let's look at point number three, outline number three. God bestows miraculous power on Paul. This is a very interesting, fascinating Portion of Scripture. God gives miraculous powers to the Apostle Paul. Verse 11, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. Dr. Luke says extraordinary miracles through Paul. What did, what did he do? So that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and evil spirits left them. What is going on here? Here's, here's Paul's handkerchief. <laughs> Take this to your sick friend and let them touch it and you'll be healed. That's what was happening. 
Here's Paul's work apron from tent making. Uh, take this and, and, and you'll be healed. So it's interesting in scripture that, that as you read the Old Testament and the New Testament, that Paul, or Paul, God authenticates his messengers, that you're a true messenger of God through what? Through giving them the power to work miracles. The prophets worked miracles in the Old Testament. And God gave the uh, disciples and the apostles what? Uh, the, the power to, to do miracles and to, to heal people. And so, um, let me just give you an illustration of that. Luke chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, when Jesus had called the 12 together. Uh, if you watched the series, The Chosen, this is one of their great episodes that uh, is portrayed in The Chosen. Uh, when Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. So the disciples, part of their ministry was they were going and they were healing sick people. They were casting out demons and God gave them that power and God gave the Apostle Paul that power. And even his handkerchief had could somehow heal people. You remember a story in the New Testament, Luke chapter 8, Jesus is walking uh, through the streets, I forget what city, and there's, he's with crowded people. And uh, he's, all of a sudden, he says, who touched me? And the disciples are like, what do you mean who touched you? You're, you're, you're bumping against all sorts of people. And no, somebody touched me, and a woman that was sick came and touched the hem of his garment. Acts chapter 5. Uh, another illustration of the healing powers that God gave to the uh, apostles. The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people. That's Acts 5.12. Listen to this. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed. Crowds gathered also from towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. So this is very common in, in, in the book of Acts. And, uh, and Paul is, is healing people, and he's driving out demons. Uh, verse 13, some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. So it was very common in that uh, time period, actually in the city of Ephesus, that there were so-called Jewish people who were exorcists, who for uh, money's sake were trying to work miracles as well. And so um, it says that some of these Jews tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed, they, and they would say... Uh, the demons would say, uh, oh no, the, the, the fellows that tried to invoke the, the, the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish priest, were doing this. One day the evil spirit answered them. Oh, how, would you, how would you like to be in their shoes? You know, they're saying, come out. And the name of Jesus and the, the, the demon through that person starts talking back to them. What did the demon say to those seven sons of Sceva? Jesus I know, and Paul I know about, but who are you? 
See, even the, the, the demons know who God is. Uh, James chapter 2, verse 19 tells us uh, that. You believe that there is one God. Good, even the demons believe that and shudder. So the demons know who God is. And they say, well, we know who Paul is. And we certainly know who Jesus is, but we, we don't know who you are. Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them, overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. Apparently, the exercise in business can be dangerous, especially when one starts to use the name of Jesus like a good luck charm. You don't know Jesus personally, and that's, that's what these guys were trying to do. They didn't know him personally, and it, it ended up in a very bad way for them. Well, Paul's working miracles in, in Ephesus. It's creating quite a stir in, in the city. And uh, let me just conclude by reading verse 17 in this section. When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear. And the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Don't you wish that was the case in our world today? That people feared God, that people feared the name of Jesus? For many kids growing up in homes, they only know Jesus as a swear word. The name of Jesus was held in high honor. And, and this incident here in, uh, that we just read put the fear of God in a lot of people. And, and rightly so. Well, we want to conclude the text this morning, and uh, the last part of the outline is a public bonfire, a public bonfire. Uh, this is fascinating as well, beginning in verse 19, or 18, many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. So I think there's a connection between this, this incident uh, that happened with Sceva's seven sons and what's happening here now, people had the fear of God put in them. And it says that many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. There's a saying, and I think it's true, confession is good for the soul. And, um, you know, I think... Uh, how, how should we announce our sins publicly to everybody? No, I think uh, when we've wronged somebody, we need to ask God for forgiveness, but we also need to take care of that on, on a limited basis. Uh, so we need to go and make it right with that person, but not necessarily uh, announce it publicly to everyone unless it's affected everyone. And so all those who believed now come and publicly confess what they had done. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. So now they've got this, a, a public bonfire. What are they doing? They're bringing their witchcraft. They're bringing their uh, magic. They're bringing their sorcery scrolls. And they have this huge bonfire in Ephesus, and they're saying, you know, we're, we're not, we're not going to be involved with that anymore. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. Now, what's drachma? You might have the same note I do in my Bible, the footnote. A drachma was a silver coin worth about a day's wages. So when they calculated the worth of all that they burned, it was 50,000 days wages. 
Now, I did a little math. Hopefully, I did this right. Larissa's a math teacher. She'll check me out on this now. <laughs> just kidding. If a day's wage is $200, let's just say $200, that's $10 million that they burned. It goes up in smoke uh, of sorcery books, magic books, witchcraft. It says, in this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. Verse 21, after all this had happened, Paul decided to go to Jerusalem, passing through Macedonia and Achaia. After I have been there, he said, I must visit Rome also. So Paul wanted to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, and he always wanted to go to Rome. He does get to Rome, not the way he planned. He goes to Rome as a prisoner. But he, he, does, he does make it to Rome. We'll, we'll find that out. He sent two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, to Macedonia while he stayed in the province of Asia a little longer. Well, next week we're going to look at the rest of chapter 19, and, and uh, we'll, we'll have that video too that will help you see actually where this took place. And there was a, a riot that happened, happened in Ephesus after... Paul's ministry affected so many people. And the riot happened because Paul's message of salvation was affecting people's pocketbooks. <laughs> you want to see people get upset is when their, their economic uh, factor gets impacted by the gospel. And, and uh, a riot took place, and we'll, we'll look at that next Sunday. But uh, l- let's listen, look at three um, life lessons from Acts 19 and then we'll be done this morning. Here's, here's the first one. What does this mean for us? How can, we, how can we apply this to our lives? Well, here's the first one. A biblical understanding of the various baptisms mentioned in Scripture will help us in our Christian life. So baptism in churches today, in Christianity today, is, people are very confused about baptism. And there's different methods of baptism, and there's different meanings of baptism. And so... In Acts chapter 19, verses 1 through 7, there's, there's three different baptisms that are mentioned. The baptism of John, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and then another baptism. Uh, we would call it uh, believer's baptism. So let's, let's look at those, those three and explain them. Uh, Paul says, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you were saved? And they said, we haven't even heard We've experienced John's baptism. So John's baptism. Let me just read some notes here. The baptisms that John performed had a specific purpose. In Matthew 3.11, John the Baptist mentions the purpose of his baptisms. I baptize you with water for repentance. John's baptism had to do with repentance. It was a symbolic representation of changing one's mind and going in a new direction in preparation for the Messiah, for Jesus. Matthew 3, 6, confessing their sins, they were baptized by John in the Jordan River. Being baptized by John demonstrated a recognition of one's sins. That's essential for salvation, isn't it? You have to recognize that you're a sinner. It represented a recognition of one's sins and a desire for spiritual cleansing in anticipation of the Messiah's arrival. And who did John point people to? Not to himself, although he was attracting 
Lots of people to his ministry. He didn't, he didn't draw people to himself. Matthew 3.11, he said, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And so John's baptism was preparing people's hearts who recognized their sinfulness and knew that they needed a change. And it was anticipation of the Messiah. And of course, when Jesus comes on the scene, John starts to point him out in John 1, behold the Lamb of God. Here's, he's the one who what, takes away the sins of the world. And so John's baptism was people preparing their hearts to receive the ministry of Jesus, the ministry of the Messiah. So because the Messiah has already come and Jesus has come and finished his work on the cross, we don't, need, we don't need John's baptism anymore because the Messiah has already come. So what's the next baptism? Uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And this is one that uh, a lot of people do not understand or are confused with. And I think part of it is simply because of the terminology. When we talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we're not talking about water. Uh, the word baptism means to place into or to dip. Uh, and so sometimes when we hear the word baptism, we immediately think of water baptism. And so what is the baptism of the Holy Spirit and when does it occur? I'm going to read the definition to be precise. The baptism of the Holy Spirit may be defined as the work whereby the Spirit of God places the believer in union with Christ. If you read the New Testament, it says, you are in Christ, you are in Christ. You are positionally in Christ. And into union with other believers in the body of Christ. It occurs at the moment of salvation. Ah, so if you've received Jesus Christ as your Savior, if someone were to ask you, have you received the baptism of the Holy Spirit? You could say, yes, I have. Yes, I have. Uh, because at that moment, the Holy Spirit took me and put me in Christ and into the body of Christ. And what did Jesus say? I'm sending one to you after I leave. His name's the Holy Spirit, and he will be with you forever. Now, where is there a little confusion? Because there are some um, churches in... They love Jesus, we'll be, all be in heaven together, but they say, they will teach, uh, those in the Pentecostal persuasion will say, the evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit in your life is that you will be speaking in tongues, and you'll have this emotional experience, and yes, that did happen in the book of Acts, um, but... Uh, we believe, and it's 1 Corinthians 13, that some of those sign gifts went away. Uh, when the, Jesus completed his ministry, when we had the completion of Scripture, and Acts is a transitional book, you don't, you don't read about this happening after the book of Acts. Um, and so, if you've received Christ as your Savior, have I been baptized by the Spirit? Yes, I have, because... He indwells in me, and he placed me in the body of Christ and in, in, in the church. Well, uh, what else happened here in Acts chapter 19? Um, after Paul's explaining this to them, on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And so this is then a third baptism that's here, and we call this believer's baptism. 
And uh, what's this baptism about? It, it's about a public profession of your faith in Jesus. Uh, the Great Commission, go into all the world and teach all nations and preach the gospel and what? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so we see a biblical pattern in the book of Acts. What is the pattern? We don't, won't take time to look at it, but it's consistent in the book of Acts. Acts 2, 3,000 people came to faith in Christ, then they were baptized. The Ethiopian eunuch, Philip, explains the gospel to him. He receives Christ. What's he say? Um, where's some water? I want to be baptized. And so it's, it's a public confession of your faith in Jesus. It has nothing to do with saving you. It's just a public identification with Jesus. And so uh, as we have occasion to baptize people here in our um, baptistry that's behind me, it's a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Down into the water, Jesus died, was buried, and rose again, and he did that for me. And uh, perhaps that's a step. If you haven't taken that step and you're a follower, believe in Jesus, I would encourage you to, to be praying about that, that step. And uh, Lord willing, here in a couple months, we're going to plan a baptismal service, uh, probably in April sometime. And... Um, that uh, that's the third baptism that's that's mentioned here. All right, let's look at the second life lesson. Uh, here's number two. Like Paul, we need to be bold and persuasive in sharing the gospel. So this is from Acts 19.8, where Paul goes into the synagogue, and it says he spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. And so that's a characteristic all through the book of Acts. And again, we don't have time to look at the verses, but especially when the believers were filled with the Spirit, it says in Acts 4, they spoke the word boldly. Peter and John were before the Sanhedrin council, and they spoke the word boldly. And here's the Apostle Paul, and he's in the synagogue, and he boldly and persuasively speaks about the kingdom of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Uh, Paul's writing to the, the, the Corinthian church and says, Since then we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade other people. Paul was persuasive uh, when he was sharing truth and sharing the gospel. And we need to be bold and we need to be persuasive. Now, ultimately, salvation is what? The work of the Holy Spirit. But we need to be uh, prepared and do a good job of, of boldly sharing truth, but also doing our homework and to be able to do it persuasively. And there are some great um, books out there that can help us with, with that. Uh, Josh McDowell's book, More Than a Carpenter, uh, Evidence That Demands a Verdict. Uh, that one chapter there says, uh, intellectually, to uh, look at who Jesus is, you have to say he's either... Lord, lunatic, or liar. Those are, that was really, it's from C.S. Lewis. Those are your three choices. Either Jesus is who he said he is, and he claimed to be the Son of God, or he's lying, or he's some sort of crazy person. <laughs> you can't just say he was a good prophet and a good teacher because he claimed to be God. And so um, we need to be bold and persuasive in sharing the gospel and once we get to the book of Acts, Paul's before several different kings, and uh, they're putting him on trial, and he witnesses the king Agrippa. And this is in the King James Version. Uh, 
King Agrippa says, almost you persuaded me to be a Christian. <laughs> uh, you, you know, you're very persuasive, Paul, but, but I'm, I'm, not, I'm not making that commitment. And um, for all we know, the King Agrippa never did come to faith in Jesus. Well, like Paul, we need to be bold and persuasive in sharing the gospel. One more, and then we're uh, done this morning. Life lesson number three. In order to grow spiritually, we must get rid of some possessions and patterns in our lives. In order to grow spiritually, we need to get rid of some possessions and patterns in our lives. So what's happening here in Ephesus um, through Paul's ministry? They had this huge bonfire, $10 million worth of magic and sorcery and all sorts of stuff that the evil one was using to influence people. And they burned it all. And uh, we need to be very careful about things that we have in our lives because the enemy is real. Satan's alive and well on planet Earth. And uh, we need to be careful of the possessions that we have. When, when I was growing up, the big thing was Ouija boards. And, uh, you know, it, it had a great uh, 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 interest and attraction, and uh, even to believers, but uh, you don't want to mess with anything like that. You don't want to have anything in your house that's, that's related, somehow connected to uh, Satan and demons in the evil world. In fact, I think we need to be very careful about what kind of things that we allow through our eye gate. We need to be very careful about the kind of movies that we watch and we let our kids watch. Because this whole matter of the occult and Satanism is nothing to uh, be um, very to be flippant about. So, uh, in order to grow spiritually, we must get rid of ourselves of some possessions. Maybe there's, maybe there's some things that we need to, to, to throw in the trash and say, I'm, I'm done with. But uh, perhaps this is the one that affects us more. In order to grow spiritually, we must get rid of some patterns in our life. Some patterns in our life. So when we're saved, uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17, Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Uh, the Christian walk is a progressive walk of sanctification. And so we're not instantly uh, totally changed. And sometimes it's, sometimes it's three steps forward, two steps back. But there's some changes and patterns in our life that we need to be very aware of. And so let me just go to Scripture here to clarify what I'm talking about. It's Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, Paul's now writing to the, the believers in Ephesus years later. And here's what he has to say in verse uh, 23. Uh, you, you've been made new in the attitudes of your minds, and I want you to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So you're, you're now a new person in Christ. And here's what I want you to do. Therefore, each of you must, here's the phrase, put off and put on. Each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. So, no more lying, 
No more fudging with the truth. You need to speak truth and put off lying. Verse 26, in your anger, do not sin. So not all anger is sinful. Some anger is. Sometimes, sometimes it's a sin not to be angry if, if you read Scripture carefully. There's some things in our world today that we need to have a righteous, holy anger about and where our culture is and what's happening in our country. But Paul says, in your anger, do not sin. Here's what he has to say. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Now, some interpret that to say you need to resolve all that before sunset. Sunset today is probably about 5.50. And so is Paul saying by 5.49 we need to resolve it? No, I think he's saying long-term anger does great harm in our life. In fact, look at the next verse. And do not give the devil a foothold in your life. Or their foothold is topos. There's a spiritual battle for, for what? Uh, nations fight over land, over topography. And Paul's saying, when you have long-term anger in your life, guess who you're opening the door to in your life? You're giving Satan a foothold in your life. And so learn how to deal with anger. And uh, don't hold on to long-term anger because it's harmful in, in our lives. Uh, Paul goes on, uh, anyone who has been stealing should steal no longer. Work with your hands. Do something productive that you have uh, finances to share with those in need. Verse 29, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Uh, the Greek word there is sapros. It's rotten speech. Our speech should be exclusive to what? Building up and encouraging one another. What do we need to, to teach our, our kids and our grandkids that? Because um, uh, kids in middle school and beyond and even in elementary school can just be... Uh, like to rip other people down. That's how they feel good about themselves. And uh, no, you need to edify and encourage everybody with your speech. And so if we're to grow spiritually, we must get rid of some possessions and some patterns in our life. So here's what the apostle or the writer of Hebrews says. We'll conclude with this. I want to get to Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Um, Here's verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, that's Hebrews 11. It's the great hall of faith chapter, and he's talking about all those that have gone before us. And the picture is there in the stands, and they're, they're looking down at us running our Christian race. Since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witness, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Great advice about how to live the Christian life and run the the marathon of the Christian life. Number one, uh, don't focus on other people. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. But notice he says we need to do two things here. Do you ever notice a marathon runner or any runner in in a track race, they're not wearing a lot of clothes because it hinders let us throw off everything that hinders. So Paul, uh, the, the writer of Hebrews says, if there's something in your life that's not helping you spiritually, I want to just get rid of it. In fact, that's a, that's a great question to, to ask. Is, is this activity or what I'm involved in, does this 
help my spiritual growth or does this hinder my spiritual growth? Is this making me closer to Jesus or is it driving me further away from him? And if it's driving you further away, then get rid of it because it's stopping your Christian growth. And then he goes on to say, the second category is a little more pointed and let us not only throw off everything that hinders, but the sin that so easily entangles. You need to get rid of sin in your life. And Satan is the master craft. Uh, he, he knows where our weak spots are. And that's why Ephesians 6 talks about putting on the armor of God. But uh, we need to get serious about sin in our lives. We need to express it, acknowledge it. We need to confess it. And we need to reject it. And if you can't do that on your own with whatever sin you're struggling with, then I would suggest you get an accountability partner if you really want to get serious in your Christian walk. Develop that relationship with with somebody and uh, have them help you with that. Have them hold you accountable so that you can live and run the race with perseverance. Well, that's Acts chapter 19, uh, the first part. And uh, like I said, next Sunday uh, we're going to look at... um, Second part, and uh, a literal riot broke out over the worship of uh, the goddess of Ephesus, which was Artemis or Diana. And uh, they have 25,000 people in the amphitheater for two hours chanting, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. And they're ready to lynch Paul. (laughs) And he wants to go and defend himself. And his friends are saying, "Uh, I don't think that's a good idea, Paul. And you can read ahead and see how this all got settled, but uh, we'll look at that next week. All right, let's uh, let's pray together uh, this morning. Lord, I pray that the Spirit of God has uh, been able to take the Word of God and uh, perhaps clarify some things, perhaps illuminate our minds with truth. And uh, thank you for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that the Spirit of God indwells us and that we are in Christ. And we read the book of Ephesians and discover all that that means for our position to be in Christ. Thank you that you place us in the body of Christ, not only a a local body of believers, but the, the worldwide universal church. We're part of the family of God. Lord, um, we also... Uh, Pray that you would ask us and convict us as we think about being bold in our faith to uh, learn how to lovingly but boldly and persuasively share the good news of the gospel with with other people. Uh, And Lord, I, I just pray this morning that perhaps there's one here that has just heard this message and they thought, I thought I was going to heaven because I'm a pretty good person. Lord, I pray that they would not leave here until they've, uh, uh, just by prayer, um, prayed the sinner's prayer. Lord, I know I'm a sinner, and I know that you died on the cross for me and paid my sin debt. And right now, I reject my sin and repent of my sin, and I put my faith in Jesus and Jesus alone for my eternal salvation. Lord, uh, we we thank you that when that prayer is made, that uh, a person goes from death to life. And then, Lord, I pray that you would convict all of us about changes and things in our life that are just a hindrance in our, our, our spiritual journey. 
Lord, we think of the prayer in Psalm 139 where the psalmist says, Lord, would you search me and know me and try me and and show me if there's any wicked way in me. And uh, Lord, may we do business with you and um, confessing sin and throwing off the things that hinder us as we run our race. And we will thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.